0: Welcome to the Coaching Kool-Aid. Today we're in conversation with Eric Haan, Professor of Organization Development and Coaching at VU Amsterdam, and Director of the Ashridge Center for Coaching at Halt Ashridge International Business School. We learn about relational coaching, critical moments, and Eric's previous life as a theoretical physicist. We also discuss Eric's views on the importance of not bringing our own agendas into coaching sessions. I hope you enjoy the conversation.
1: The Institute of Coaching in Leadership and Healthcare Conference in Boston.
0: Yes, and we're interviewing Eric Dehaan, author of many books, but the latest one, Critical Moments in Coaching, which we've both read and thoroughly enjoyed. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. And remind me to get it signed. Uh, Yes. (laughs) Could you tell us, what are Critical Moments in Coaching?
2: Well, it's a book about what happens inside a coaching conversation, Mm. and it's full of reports from clients, coaches, even uh, commissioners of coaching sessions and assignments about what were moments inside sessions that they remember for some reason. It could be because something shifted in that moment, maybe uh, the conversation returned back to that moment. It could also be a moment where there was a meeting and they suddenly realized each other's presence, for example. There could be many, many different things. And that's what the book is about
0: we loved it because of the qualitative aspect because mm-hmm. we find that that's something that's often lacking in coaching research we love that qualitative approach mm-hmm. and we were also having a chat um and talking about the fact that it's reading it is it feels like a supervision session <laughs> and supervision is so important but then yeah. if you can't get to it um often enough having a book like that in which you can sort of fall into that space into that coaching space and listen to other people's mm-hmm. experiences so incredibly useful
1: mm-hmm. it, it made me wonder mm-hmm. Um, did you have a critical moment like can you sort of recall <laughs> like one critical moment that you had in in coaching that made you want to write about this
2: yeah that's that's a very nice question because that of course those ones my own critical moments are the ones that i left out of the book right. <laughs> because i wanted to be a researcher yes and i don't want i didn't want to be biased so it's it's a clever question i have to say uh, but my own critical moments well there's a one that I, earliest one that I remember, I was in my 20s mm-hmm. and I was receiving, uh, late 20s, career counselling uh, because I was a physicist and uh, the only thing I knew was that I wasn't in, at home there, I wasn't in my place, I wasn't really happy at work so I wanted to go somewhere else um, but I had no idea where and so I had many sessions with the clinical psychologist and there was one session that I very, very clearly remember, uh, where I suddenly it suddenly dawned on me that he had a great job, he had a fun job, and I wanted to be on his seat. I was be- I wanted to be sitting where he was sitting, mm. and that of course that transformed my idea about what I could be uh, right. and who I could become. That was
1: actually going to be another question of mine, which was you know a lot of coaches have had a career prior to being a coach so like maybe this is the second or third or even fourth <laughs> act for people yes, who are coaches. Absolutely, yes, absolutely. So you were a physicist? Before yes, that, I, right? I, was,
2: I actually studied theoretical physics which is very near to mathematics mm-hmm. and even then I realized I need to get out into the world and it may make, make this more practical mm-hmm. so then I um, I did my PhD in psychophysics which is on the border between physics and psychology Wow. Uh, and oh, that's an interesting field, but I still wasn't happy about the kind of work I was doing, okay. switching on and off computers, doing experiments, reading peer-reviewed articles for the formulas yes. and tables yes, yes, yes. and there was something missing and But I only very gradually discovered that, that mm-hmm. I'm much more triggered by inter uh, um, human problems between people conflicts mm. or uh you know stuckness yeah. as we call it yeah uh, that, that kind of thing stuckness. <laughs>
0: Has that been a difficult process moving from something so mathematical and so quantitative into a into a qualitative space? It wasn't
2: difficult because no. I, I really found my profession, so I was mm-hmm. I never looked back, mm-hmm. and I was very really uh, passionate about the field from the beginning. I did some voluntary voluntary consulting in in my university and things like that, and I loved it. Uh, but it was a very long t- uh, uh, transition mm. because I had to relearn and uh, many as you suggest many many different things and I I went back to uh, at school I went to the, you know the first undergraduate course in in psychology for for example and I tried to get the, the psychology degree but I realized that that was not really that was again very dreary very kind of long uh, chapters about things that we don't quite understand the mind mm-hmm. uh, so I I switched then to more practical uh, development. And I did my psychotherapy studies, uh, which was much more inspirational for me.
0: Interesting. What is your general approach to coaching?
2: Uh, We call it, um, we teach coaches and what we do, we call it relational coaching, which means that you uh, uh, give attention to the here and now of the conversation and you try to work with what's happening right now between the coachee and yourself. Mm-hmm. and you try to use that um, kind of dance that, that emerges in a session, you use it to shed light on the issues of the coachee. And I'm saying we, because some of us in the faculty come from different backgrounds, such as Gestalt or Rogerian counseling, mm-hmm. and as myself, psychoanalysis. And we, both of those kind of broad uh, backgrounds, um, love working with the, with the present moment. Mm-hmm. And
0: that requires a lot of reflection in the moment. What kind of yeah. training do you think coaches need to do in order to be able to do that zooming out within a session in order to observe their own behavior and what's going on?
2: Um, well, you need, you need to understand why this might be useful, so you do need to do a bit of kind of theoretical cognitive training about. Um, you know, what are the impactful aspects of coaching and why would anybody, you know, have a new insight or or change or overcome this stuckness. Uh, But the main thing is just to to gather courage over time to actually address the here and now. Mm -hmm. Um, Why do you
0: use the word courage?
2: Well, it's, uh, uh, you know, once you kind of ask um, uh, for attention to what's happening right now, you're kind of a little little bit lost if I would do that here you know i would I would be become more vulnerable and I would ask you know how is this conversation going and I would say to you uh, for example aren't we talking a lot about coaching you know would would anyone listening to this uh, ha- get a feel for how we are sitting here trying to understand something would 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 we be able to convey something because we're talking in such abstract terms so then if I do that. I sound a little bit critical of this interview, for example. Mm-hmm. So I, I become a little bit vulnerable, and you, and you might be thinking, "Oh, this is not going in the right direction" or something like that.
0: Really interesting, because like we that. often do that for team coaching, don't we? That's kind of an approach where you get people to feel the tension and feel discomfort, but yes. probably less so within one-to-ones. So yes, that's a really good, really interesting. Mm. <laughs> yeah. 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 I
2: like so, it. so, and to, to gather courage, it, it's important that you do it again and again and again. So. I guess one of our vehicles to, to develop this kind of thing, uh, work, way of working is group supervision, mm. uh, where people can do a session and have three, four, five people looking at that mm. and then bringing out what, what what has just happened in that session
1: mm. uh,
2: together, thinking together about that.
1: And then in terms of the critical moments that you describe yeah. and how important they are, in the book it's, it's obviously the, the coach reflecting on the critical moment after it's occurred would you suggest that actually it might be worthwhile to actually um, draw attention to the critical moment when you're in it yes absolutely yes yeah, yeah right i
2: really think that's that's uh, that, that would be relational yes. they'll be looking at oh what just what just happened between yes, us yes, or yes. you know for example you know i may not have said to my counselor what was occurring there to me I may have gone on telling him all my stories. But actually, I was jealous of him listening to so many people's stories. And that would have been the ingredient that he could then work with. Mm, And so it is important to try to open up about what what happens, what shifts are happening for you.
1: Sure. And you say relational. I think the word that's popping out to me there is that you'd have to have such good rapport Mm. at that point to Mm. be able to sort of highlight that critical moment as it's happening, wouldn't you? Yes. And
2: to kind of sustain or overcome the... Kind of the moment of doubt or um, vulnerability. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. So, what
0: do you see as being one of the biggest challenges faced by coaches, or even the coaching industry, at the moment?
2: At the moment, mm. well, I think I think uh, you know, coaches, whether they're young, new to the profession or old, I think they're all very fond of what they're doing. I'm not alone in that. I think a lot of people choose this, as you say, as a third, fourth, well, as a main profession over time when they a little bit older. So um, we are all very well-meaning and, uh, and passionate. And I think we're doing very really good work. The, the one thing that I would mention is that because we're so driven by um, ideals and we want to improve the planet and uh, things like that, we might be uh, more directive than we think. So we might have an agenda to, you know, to improve something about the ethical Ways of doing business for a company or to improve something about the leader's kind of balance or sense of balance, and um, maybe to, do, to offer positive psychology or something like that, or health. And so, in all, in, I think coaching can be seriously weakened if a coach has an agenda. Uh, so, because then the coach might become, uh, you know, openly or not, explicitly or implicitly directive in the sessions and say okay you need to do this and, and and you know let's look at the bright side or you know go and do some uh, mindfulness uh, meditation and all of those things I think they're not really coaching. Coaching is more kind of being with the client and allowing the client to come to some insight or something like that. If I would have to mention as you ask one danger or one kind of uh, flip side of coaching, it will be that for me.
0: It's a really interesting point. Do you think it's possible for a human being not to have an agenda?
2: No that's a very good question again. So one of my masters in the field, uh, Carl uh, Rogers, uh, you know, so I, my first training was in, in Rogerian counseling yes. after that. After mm-hmm. that counseling Mm. he said you know i have to admit i always try to follow the client and be with the client but i'm biased too Mm -hmm. i'm so much more interested in their deeper emotions and in uh, you know and and less so in the in the stories they tell and he said that openly many times so we all have an agenda we all and you know if we're a relational coach we can even speak to that agenda maybe maybe admit 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 something about that the, the the problem is more when that agenda becomes a kind of drivenness in a p- particular direction. And that's not always so helpful.
0: Mm. Do you think it can ever be helpful? Are there any situations in which, mm-hmm. I mean, maybe agenda is the wrong word, but ha- yeah. having a stake, let's say, in the conversation could, yes. could be appropriate? Well,
2: sometimes over, over short periods of time, uh, a client can feel very help- helpless or stressed or pressurized or nearing a burnout or something and and it's well known that it's it's good to take the client by the hand if they really feel highly anxious even during sessions Mm. and you know help them to another referral and you know things like that and that is more directive Mm. Um, but you're then doing that because the client in that time and it's usually a brief time cannot think very clearly so then yes but again then then what the client needs might not be coaching again that's right Uh,
0: it's the perennial question, isn't it? Because when we were doing the master's program, it was all very much ask, don't tell, ask, don't tell. And mm. then as we go out into our careers and we, and we do start coaching and we realize there are some moments in which they're begging you, yes. <laughs> like, just tell me, just give me something. Mm. And it's, it's interesting because you really it, that's a critical moment in itself, isn't it? Yes. You really have to be able to zoom out yeah. and say... You a can just ask tell. why do you, what, yeah, what is it that you, you feel you need to be told? And you can keep doing That's that, or right. yeah. sometimes you can just give them a little tidbit. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, is there any personal experience you've got in which you found yourself with an agenda that you found to be particularly problematic, or even a time when you thought, okay, no, this is actually helping someone? If ah. I'm going to tell them what to do?
2: Um, for myself, if I look at my practice at the moment, I do a lot of uh, group supervision, but also individual supervision and I find myself much more open in suggesting alternatives and you know thinking alongside my client in the individual supervision. So then I get a I get a coaching case and I quite freely express myself on the case. Mm-hmm. So um, it's just that I give my kind of my view on that particular case. But I'm still hoping that my supervisee in, in 99% of the cases does whatever they they wanted to do with the case and not take my particular take on it.
0: Coaching and supervision to me are quite different. Well exactly yes so
2: in supervision that's that was my answer to the question because in coaching I don't I might be much more directive than I think because that's true for many coaches but I don't experience myself as as you know taking the client by the hand and you know or, or really trying to further some kind of agenda which is supposed to be good for them or better for them except in exceptional circumstances when they are feeling overwhelmed. Um, however in supervision I, I do experience myself differently. I quite mm-hmm. freely say okay yeah I've had a client like that before and I did this mm-hmm. or I said that and, and but, but, but all the time trusting that the other person is not going to kind of copy whatever I just just suggested but uses it as a form of inspiration mm-hmm. as they go back to their to working with their client.
0: Mm. And do you have any advice for coaches who may not even be aware if they are checking their own biases or their own agendas at the door, Is it, do you have any advice for people to go into a coaching session and being mindful of oh. their agenda, apart from just thinking, I'm going to be mindful of my agenda? <laughs> okay.
2: Yes, or I need to remember yeah. what, what was said in the previous session. That's yeah. right. Yes, no, so that's, that would be my answer, not to do those two things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, and just trust your memory. It's amazing how the memory works. So you sit down with the client, even after three months, and they, they speak about something that they spoke about last time. And they say, oh, John was at it again, or, or you know, I was in this meeting. And, you know, lo and behold, you know, and, and then as you're listening to the client, your memory will, will tune into that. And then a lot of what you need to, to, to be there alongside them will come out. So if you, I think if you trust yourself, you can, you can let, let a lot of that go.
1: Sage mm. advice. Yeah, <laughs> that's fantastic. Yeah. I'm just, I could listen to you all day. I'm trying to think <laughs> of the next question and just like, no, no, keep talking. <laughs> and I think that what you, you're saying here and, and I think what's in your book as well is just, again, that importance of supervision. To allow you to sort of have those moments to zoom out and reflect on the conversations that you've had. Um, yes. Do you, do you have supervision yourself as well?
2: Yes, I've got a weekly session. Weekly. Uh, yeah. So, uh, but it's kind of unclear whether it's uh, it's it's a psychoanalytic session because that's my training now, mm. that's my background. So I'm lying on a couch and uh, it's with my uh, with an analyst I've been with for many years. You could say my second analyst. And, uh, you know, in in fact, in that case, uh, it is not always clear to me whether it's therapy, coaching or supervision. So I I might bring a client from that week and I find that very inspirational to do. Mm. But maybe more often I'll bring the dream from from the last night. before going to the session and it will be much more about other things in my life Mm -hmm. so it's it's i haven't got a formal supervision alongside that Mm -hmm. i'm thinking although i participate in groups session uh, in group supervision occasionally uh, Mm -hmm. or regularly but i'm thinking maybe i i ought to kind of have supervision again separate from from therapy but i'm not i'm i I guess i'm not motivated enough so i occasionally speak with the supervisor Mm -hmm. and i haven't got to the point that I'm starting those regular Mm. sessions because I get so much out of the weekly session that I have.
1: Yeah and it sounds to me like it's sort of I mean in a way when you think about regular supervision it's like you're separating out that professional side of yourself. I mean I think in my um, one-on-one supervision sessions I'm certainly talking about other things that are happening for me but not probably to the same depth that it yes. sounds like you're getting yes. those weekly sessions. Yes, because of my regularity as well, yeah. so it's much more frequent. And it sounds much more
0: holistic.
2: Hmm. Yes, that's Which how I experience really it. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Given that, and given your background, do you think it's possible for people to be really good coaches when they have no psychology background whatsoever?
2: Uh, I think there's a lot of us are really naturals and really have talent to do the session well and can be trained you know, with an extensive coaching course and some supervision to really be very helpful. But I think if you, if you make this your profession, you will be curious about the mind and you will want to learn at more depth um, uh, about it and, and maybe read or study, as I did, psychotherapy. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, if I could wind back the clock and if at 18 I, I could have chosen the right studies for me, I would have probably studied medicine uh, you know, because I think then you you are you know you're attentive to to the other person and their their their, their physique, their body, their mind from the beginning, and a lot of kind of um, teachings from physics. Of course, I, do, I, I don't remember them. I don't use them. So I think that is useful to 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 know something about medicine or psychology, certainly psychotherapy, which is very close to coaching. But you can do you can do good work early on. In fact, there is some research that, uh, you know, starting therapists and starting coaches, because they're so motivated to do well for their clients, that they actually um, have, you know, in some, some cases better results than experienced ones. Mm-hmm. So, it's, it's yeah, something to think about. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. Is it a part of the course um, at the university where you teach? Psychodynamic approach to uh,
2: yes, we yeah. so we yeah we teach a lot of for example transference and counter-transference mm-hmm. and parallel process and th- kind of a lot a lot of uh, kind of important concepts are being mm-hmm. taught and the same is true for a lot of uh, gestalt practices and you know ways of getting closer to the here and now with your client. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. so it was we, certainly
1: yeah. a part of our uh, course at Sydney University. Uh-huh. Um, and also just being able to identify possible continuums that a person might be on in terms of personality, yeah. from, a, from a healthy expression to a disordered expression. Ah, so yeah. you know, yesterday you were speaking about narcissists and borderline personality disorder, that sort of thing, to just be able to just pick up, yes, you know, just be aware if that's... Yes, you know. and
2: that needs further study. So I think a good coach will always start to read more about that and maybe get... Um, uh, certified in in doing a, 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 a psychometric instrument in that area, and uh, you know, so you build up your your understanding, even if you're not a psychologist, like mm. myself. I'm not a psychologist, but I am a, a psychotherapist. Yes. I
0: think the understanding of our transference and countertransference is particularly important for those critical moments, aren't they? Where yeah, you're really yes. able to zoom out and have a look what's going on here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Eric Han, thank you so much for speaking with us today. It's My been, pleasure, it's been I really enjoyed it. Thank yeah. you very thank you. much.